the reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 3, reading verses 8 to 24. Uh, I invite your hearing uh, the public reading of God's word in faith and with joy. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our uh, text this morning is a count of uh, terrifying uh, judgment that will uh, now break upon uh, Adam and his uh, wife Eve. Uh, but it also a reminder of God's perpetual grace for, while judgment is a very terrifying prospect, uh, the curtain of justice uh, never falls on God's mercy that is also present uh, in, in these texts and a promise of ultimate restoration. Um, the, the judgment here of God uh, is curse upon uh, Adam uh, and Eve, and therefore... Uh, a curse that falls upon all of us. Uh, they are our uh, 
forefathers and they acted in our stead. And therefore, when uh, they turned, we turned. As God curses uh, them, he, he curses us. Uh, but as I mentioned, embedded in this text, uh, God's ultimate promise of restoration. So let's start in verses 18, uh, pardon me, 8 to 13. Uh, the fall brings judgment. And the beginning of restoration uh, in confession. Uh, so Adam and Eve uh, disobey God. Uh, the theology uh, of the disobedience is uh, very, very important. And in my own mind, it is captured most beautifully and succinctly in the Shorter Catechism. Uh, so I, I'm simply going to read uh, uh, the question and answer, verses 18 uh, and 19. Um, Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein a man fell? The sinfulness of that estate where a man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of the whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Then verse 19, what is the misery of that estate where a man fell? All mankind by their fall lost communion with God are under His wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself and the pains of hell forever. So the indictment of the guilt of uh, Adam's first sin is total and almost irrevocable save the promise of the Gospel. Uh, it's it's terrifying for us to recognize that um, every tear you've ever cried has its origin here. Every want of anxiety uh, is here. Everything in nature that seemingly is destructive and powerful is found here. Our failing bodies found here. I mean, the sin and misery is incalculable throughout all of the history of civilization. Paul tells us that the guilt of Adam's uh, sin was uh, imputed to us because he was our, if you will, a theological term, federal head. And as such, he represented us. And as I mentioned earlier, when he turned, we turned. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Phil, come on. I mean, I wasn't even there. Please. The point is the theology of it. It's not your estimation of yourself. That's the please. The reality is, is what God does to Adam and all, all of his sons and daughters born after him. All are born corrupted and lost. And communion with God is forever broken. Thankfully, the recovery is here too. I would remind you, beyond the guilt and the misery of the first sin, that is, it is a story of consequences. And all sin has consequences. 
That is a theological reality that's lost in our culture. Uh, but it shouldn't be lost upon us. God is going to hold Adam and Eve accountable. There are terrific, terrifying consequences to what they did. And that is true for all of us. Consequences and responsibility do not depart. Uh, and that in and of itself points us to the importance of uh, confession and repentance and the majesty of the work of the last Adam uh, who is found uh, in the, the text before us. So Adam and Eve lost righteousness in communion with God and they are afraid of judgment. Uh, they hear uh, uh, the sound Hebrew text is literally the voice of God in the garden in uh, the cool of the day. uh, The word is literally the spirit of the wind of the day. And Adam tells God that I heard you and I was afraid because I was naked. So he knows immediately as one of the consequences of his sin is shame. It's a universal reality. The public domain, we all want to be clothed. Well, for the most part. I sometimes wonder when I um, go to the swimming pool. Uh, but, but it's just because of shame. Uh, it is stamped upon our hearts. The shame and the guilt of uh, Adam and Eve's sin. The irony is that Adam did not hear the call to obey God, so he will hear the call of judgment. It will strike him immediately in a terrifying way. He's driven from the garden. He knows that he broke God's commandment, and that is why he is afraid. Uh, Someone ironic to me that he blames God. The woman you gave me. (laughs) It's a game all of us play. It never works. It is personal. And so are the consequences and the judgment. He blames Eve as well. She gave me. God, you gave her to me and then she gave to me the fruit. But he does set in motion recovery by confession. And I ate. He admits what he did. Eve blames the serpent for deceiving her. Then she confesses, I ate. Beyond uh, the disobedience to the word of God, they have forsaken the commission that God gave to them in chapter 1, verse 28. They were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue and rule it. Uh, Paraphrasing uh, Greg Beale, he says of this event, Adam permitted an unclean animal to come into the garden sanctuary and deceive his wife. And the serpent has dominion over them. And they lost rest by trusting the serpent's word and imaging the serpent instead of God. 
So tragedy of what they did is compounded in those words, but certainly it's true. They want to image the serpent. It's an indictment of every culture, of every civilization. We begin to image the serpent. The theology is uh, the doctrine, as you and I know it, of original sin that's charged to our account. Let's look at this reality in Romans chapter 5. I encourage you to if you have your New Testaments to uh, turn to that text. Uh, because the Apostle Paul is uh, going to clarify for us the reality of the theological consequences of the fall of Adam and Eve. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and uh, verse, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Let's also skip down to verse 19. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And that is the point that I'm suggesting to you, that there is this terrifying prospect of judgment, but there's also the mercy of God that's present in the gift of the one who will effect restoration uh, through his righteousness. Uh, in the Reformed Church, uh, both of these events are accomplished through imputation. Uh, imputation is a legal reality. It's a legal term. Where the consequences of Adam are charged to everyone. And here again, I know in our culture we would say, well, I don't, I mean, come on, Phil, I don't, I don't feel anything. It's not about feeling. It's the reality of the scripture that charged to your account or the actions and the consequences of Adam's first sin. He simply imputes it to everyone. And then there's a counter, is there not? The beauty that judgment and mercy always go together in the Scriptures. That through the obedience of the One who is the last Adam Christ, He imputes His righteousness and the merits thereof to our accounts. So in both cases, there's imputation. Imputation of guilt, Imputation of the merits of obedience. The beauty of our salvation. We could not save ourselves. It is impossible for men and women and boys and girls who are irrevocably lost to recover themselves. But not for God. For with God all things are possible. And He does it through His Son. Through the great act of imputation. The purity and the majesty of the judgment of sin, death spread to all men. Imputation. The many are accounted just before God because of the obedience of the one who is Christ. Judgment and mercy. Two unlikely events embracing and holding hands to the one who is Christ and the one who is the first Adam. In verses 14 to 21, God curses them and the curse sets in motion the promise of restoration. 
So God begins with the serpent. It gains an advantage. Uh, but God reverses the advantage. Uh, we read uh, the beginning of the chapter. The serpent was more crafty. And now it's made most lowly and will eat dust the rest of its life. So the advantage to the serpent is lost forever. And there is now perpetual enmity between Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring. Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Uh, this uh, portends that the two seeds will be in constant conflict. It pretends, if you will, ultimately the tribulation of Christ upon the cross and the tribulation of the church throughout the ages. As the seed of the serpent continues to attack the seed of the woman. It's also, as you know, uh, many theologians call this the Proto-Evangelium. Uh, because, verse 15, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So Christ is going to affect the destruction of the serpent in his majestic work upon the cross. Uh, we see a measure of this uh, in the conflict between the two seeds in uh, John, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, uh, and uh, verse 44. You are of your father the devil. He's speaking to the religious rulers of his day, but really all who are outside of Christ. We talk a lot about paternity in our culture. This is the ultimate paternity outside of Christ. Your father is the devil. That's a horrific thought. And again, once I, I mean, I grapple with the concept of, well, Phil, I don't feel that way. I'm a pretty good person. That's not the defining reality. Scripture, the Word of God, is the defining reality. Your paternity is here outside of the last Adam. You're of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and a father of lies. What a terrifically sad genealogy. We're all about genealogy in our culture. This is, this is the reality. Father of lies. Father of violence. Throughout the book of Genesis, we will be studying exactly that. Violence as well as uh, the grace of God. present in our culture because uh, the battle continues. Two, two genealogical references, spiritually speaking. The devil or Christ. It should send a chill upon any who belong to the former and rejoicing to any who belong to the latter. Uh, the sons of the devil will persecute the seed of the woman, but she will ultimately prevail through Christ. 
there are hints of this, uh, beautiful hints of this uh, in the Psalter. Psalm uh, 91. Uh, it's very interesting that, as you know, our Savior quotes this text in his answer to the serpent who comes to him mistesting in the wilderness. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample down. Ultimately, uh, Satan tries to, tries to pull a fast one upon Christ, but he trusts in the word, as you know. Uh, it's also uh, picked up for us in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul, uh, Romans 16.20. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's a reference to all of us. This is our victory, begun by Christ. He strikes the serpent upon the head, and he will crush Satan under our feet. So the promise of victory is ultimately to all who are in Christ. Compelling reason, I think, to flee to Christ in the gospel. Because you belong to one or the other. You will ultimately face ruin in the one, and if you stand with Christ in the gospel, you will confront, own, and enjoy, and possess irrevocable victory, world without end. Two genealogical lines, two ways of life, two confessions, two ends. As you know, Jesus quotes the psalm in Matthew 4.6, uh, beginning, setting in motion the beauty of the quotation in Matthew 4 is he sets in motion the defeat of Satan by trusting the Word of God and the reversal of the curse in himself. In other words, the greatest victory of all time has started in Christ by trusting the Word. Application for you as a Christian, you are always struggling with sin, but uh, trust the word. And Satan will soon be crushed under your feet. Uh, verse 16, God curses the woman. In uh, what she lost, uh, she gains the terrible pain of childbirth. Uh, and because she took the lead in following the serpent, she is now subordinated uh, to Adam, latter part of chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, I know many of you, uh, speaking to many fathers, you've um, been in the room when your lovely wife was bearing a child. Um, I kept saying to myself, oh, come on, Barbara, suck it up. But I wasn't feeling a thing. And I knew the reality. I mean, it was just wrapped in pain and agony. From what? I mean, I understand the biology of it. I mean, I get all that, but from, from what is the origin? The curse upon Eve. 
harbinger of greater pain to come, of course. Verses 17-20, God curses Adam. Because he disobeyed the ground uh, that was going to produce everything he needed is now going to require his perpetual toil, and that with difficulty. So all of us sometimes in our life go to a place of work and it's, it's hard, it's difficult. Um, we have to struggle. All of us uh, sometime in our life are students and uh, we, we have to struggle memorizing things and committing uh, things to practice, uh, uh, respecting whatever profession we choose. It's difficult. Why? Because of the curse of Adam. He ate from the tree and will now have trouble eating. Paraphrasing uh, a commentator on the psalm that was one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, Alan Ross. Um, and Adam forsook rest. He was given rest in the garden. Now he's driven out of it. The rest of his life is going to suffer great pain and agony. Again, the reminder uh, that as the curtain of justice, the consequences of sin begin to fall, so there is the remarkable uh, promise of the gospel. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all ye who labor or heavy laden, Christ says, and I will give you rest, spiritual rest. We come to Christ. We confess, we repent, we believe and hope in Him, and He gives us spiritual rest. We never have to work for it. It's simply the product of the greatest gift of all time, spiritual rest in Christ. It starts spiritually in believing and hoping in Him, and then it runs into eternity, Hebrews 4.9, because Christ is our eternal Sabbath rest. Adam came from dust, he will return to the dust of death. And Christ is the second Adam, we'll reverse it. 1 Corinthians 15.45 So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He gives life to those who belong to him. The origin of spiritual and physical death is here in Genesis chapter 3. But so is the genesis of our recovery in the last Adam who is Christ. As you know, in our culture, death is a biological event. We expend massive resources to delay it, to postpone it. We spend massive resources on um, erasing wrinkles and, um, you know, there should I say, trying to recover hair that's lost. I mean, I don't waste any money on it, but I'm aware that many people do. 
Uh, and, and again, nothing wrong with that. Uh, we should take care of our bodies, as the case may be, but uh, the point is the ultimate recovery is only in Christ. The real answer is the second Adam, who initiates a spiritual reversal that will eventuate in the physical reversal and ultimate recovery. But again, uh, there is a hint of this in the curse and the reversal. In exercise of his dominion, he names Eve uh, the mother of all living. So while death has come, life is going to come as well through Eve. And so Adam anticipates life. I'm uh, quoting here uh, Alan, Alan Ross at, uh, that I had the privilege of studying under at uh, Dallas Seminary. But the point is that Christ is life. Christ is a life-giving spirit who can reverse the curse. Compelling reason to flee to him. Uh, John 10, 28, the Savior says, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. He is the life-giving spirit. John 11.25. One of the great I am statements of Christ. I am, the Savior says, the resurrection and the life. Coming and hoping and believing in Him. You will live again. You live now spiritually, but you will ultimately live eternally. He that believeth in me, Christ says, though he die, yet shall he live. You go to a funeral. As I know, many of you have. Certainly, if the person is outside the Savior, you intuitively learn about that through the eulogy and where it is, and so on and so forth. But it is, it is incredible sadness. Incredible sadness. Not so with the life-giving Spirit. Whoever believes in me, though he die. And you will die because of the first Adam. But in the last Adam, you shall live. Beauty of the restoration is seen in the divine provision of covering. This text. I mentioned this briefly. Uh, uh, previously, uh, Adam and Eve initially provided their own covering. It's rejected. And so God makes garments of skin and clothes them. Verse, uh, verse 21 of, uh, of our chapter. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. We speak of proto-evangelium in Genesis 3.15. I think there's a reference here as well. Because it implies the death of an animal and the shedding of blood. Anticipating the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament that 
ultimately points to Christ and is totally fulfilled by Him. No longer in the church do we offer animal sacrifices because He is the final, last fulfillment. I know there are quote-unquote Christian churches who continue uh, sacrificing Christ? We do not. In the words of John Murray, you do not repeat perfection. Christ is the perfect last sacrifice not to be repeated. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of His people. It's in Him. Him alone. Uh, This imagery becomes explicit, I believe, in the clothing metaphor. Uh, The verb in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is uh, uh, found uh, in the writings of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. And if put on the new man, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We are clothed in the new man. Our identification with Christ means we are clothed with Christ. And we're also being renewed. So Christ is a life-giving spirit who sets in motion renewal from the curse that will eventuate in our being clothed with the imperishable and immortality. Incredible promise of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 and 54. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. A number of weeks ago, I had a uh, delivery team come to my home. I'd purchased a uh, purchased a, uh, a replacement oven. Uh, the oven that I had uh, um, died because of the fall. Um, so um, I thankfully uh, uh, went to the appliance store and uh, got a new one. So the two men, uh, you know, bring it in, and uh, one seems to be doing all the work, and I was wanted to be very careful here, but I began to talk with the uh, the other gentleman that was helping, um, and uh, lo and behold, he was a he was a Christian, and uh, I I certainly didn't want to create animosity between the two. The one guy goes out saying, "Well, I was doing all the work while you were talking with that weirdo in the house." Uh, about your hope in Christ, but it's very instructive to me that as they left, the Christian turned around and said to me, I will see you in the imperishable. I was struck by the hope of the gospel. I've never heard such before. See you in the imperishable. The promise, the ultimate promise, the reality of it that owned this man's heart and the great promise of the gospel. And all of us have buried loved ones that know Christ. 
We'll see them again. Through Christ. In the imperishable. Picked up the reality, the beauty of it, picked up in Revelation 19 and verse 14. And the armies which are in heaven clothed, notice, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. God clothes us. He clothed Adam and Eve in the garden, but he clothes us in Christ. Beginning of spiritual renewal that will ultimately break in the immortal through Christ. The initiative and grace enables us to put off our identification with the fallenness of the first Adam to be identified with the last Adam who sets it all in motion in God's sovereign grace. So the curtain of justice and judgment in Genesis 3 for all who are in Christ, never falls totally and irrevocably on those who belong to the Savior. The hope of the Gospel. In Christ there is life. In the first Adam there is death. And God drives Adam and Eve out of the garden with the reminders of His presence that will ultimately restore them. Verses 22-24. to Adam and Eve are prevented from eating from the tree of of life and living forever in corruption by the cherubim who now guard the entrance into the Garden of Eden. You know the cherubim also are prominent in the tabernacle and the temple as guarding the presence of God. In the Old Testament, the high priest, as you know, could, could only enter the Holy of Holies once a year. At the death of Christ, as you know, the veil uh, was torn in two, signifying our access to the divine presence every day of the year through Christ. More importantly, John tells us that we will be restored to an eternal garden. Very quickly, um, reading... Uh, Revelation chapter 21, uh, pardon me, 22 verses 1 to 4. Uh, The garden imagery of this text is unmistakable, uh, portending our ultimate restoration. Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden. You and I in sovereign grace and mercy will be placed uh, back in it. But immortal and imperishable. And the prospect of the fall never again to occur. He showed me a river, the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb in the middle of the street. And either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit. Verse 3, And there shall no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. We're going to be restored totally and finally. It's begun spiritually, but it will break eternally. Uh, But I have the sad duty to all those who belong to the first Adam. Revelation 21, verse 27. 
and nothing unclean will enter it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Compelling reason to flee to the Savior, believe and hope in Him, and to be clothed with the imperishable. Compelling. Because you will not enter the garden outside of Him. So this account of terrifying judgment and justice and the consequences of sin reminds us that God is gracious to effect the promises of restoration. He sends His Son to recover what the first loss. And He recovers it all in the majesty of His perfections. The majesty of who He was and who He is Full recovery. World without end. It's my hope that you know him. Uh, For you will be uh, clothed as you are now in identification, but in the total fullness of it in the end time garden. And in the words of uh, the prophet Isaiah that uh, never ceased to amaze me at that garden, that death and sighing will flee away. 